CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sun Joke All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sun Joke All. Hello and uh, welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag 3D Printing. Today's topic is how will 3D printing uh, impact the enterprise? And our guests for today's show are Greg Morris, who is the Strategy and Business Development Lead for Additive Technologies with GE Aviation. Good morning, Greg. How are you? Uh, good morning. I'm great. Thank you. Great. And uh, we also have Gonzalo Martinez, uh, who's the Director of Strategic Research in the Office of the CTO at Autodesk. How are you, Gonzalo? Very good. Nice to, nice to be here. Great to have you as well. Now, we all know that 3D printing is very exciting in the tech world today and is uh, almost at the top of every geek's list of technologies to watch out for. But using 3D printing right now is something of the Wild West. People are still trying to figure it out, defining what it should be used for. So we thought it would be good for us to get ahead of the curve and ask how 3D printing has the potential to affect the people, the finance side, as well as the operation of an enterprise business. So uh, that said, let's let's look at the first question, and, and this is for you, Greg. Uh, if you look at 3D printing, it is, of course... Uh, you know, the hottest thing in the tech world. And what is happening in, in the enterprise world, which is making it that, that big of a demand, or at least people are saying we really want to try it out and it might even fundamentally change the way we do business? Yeah, so it's a great question. I, I think, first off, I would say that uh, there are different, uh, different flavors of 3D printing. So 3D printing is a very broad term. It, it can be applied towards the enterprise uh, context, such as what you're asking me right now, and, and it can be applied to all, all the way down to the very low-end home-type printer, uh, which a lot of the uh, maker movement is, is interested in. So it covers a very broad spectrum in its application, as well as the modalities and materials. And so I, I would say, you know, why is it uh, – you know, it is a hot technology. There's absolutely no question about it. We have, even within GE, we have a, a very high-level uh, interest in the technology and how it uh, affects our business and, and potentially will affect our business. So I, I think it's as, as interesting as it is right now, and, and it's interesting that uh, many companies are jumping into the additive game uh, and should be looking at it because I think it has the potential – to disrupt their markets, and in some cases, it has the potential to disrupt some of their uh, products. So uh, an example would be what GE is coming out with uh, as one of our first production items within the aviation group, which is an additively produced fuel nozzle. And uh, this will be produced in a metal alloy called cobalt chromium, and 19 of these go into our next generation engine. And, and so why did we go down this path? Why did we pick additive or 3D printing versus traditional means? And there are a lot of reasons, but predominantly it allows us to reduce our cost and long-term probably get a better product, meaning lighter weight, less failure points, um, and, and it allowed us to carve intellectual property in that space that we otherwise probably couldn't do. So taking that story forward to multiple different OEMs, you can see where 
it is a technology that's hard to ignore, and I think uh, certain companies and certain industries ignore it at their peril. And, and I think uh, by that I mean they need to look at it as an enabling disruptive technology for whatever their product is, and some will fit and some won't, but they certainly should be evaluating it. Now, this is so fascinating, and Gonzalo, from your standpoint, of course, Autodesk as an organization is known for uh, doing something related to printing in the regular traditional world, and now you are entering in the world of 3D printing. Would you think that after somebody buys this in an enterprise, they will be able to get rid of all their suppliers and do everything in-house, so that's going to help them fundamentally shift, and life will be good, and after getting a couple of printers, then they'll say, okay, thank you so much, Autodesk, because we're going to print a 3D printer. <laughs> yes, uh, and, and, and these are, you know, and I, I, I comment on, on Greg's uh, comments about, you know, the, the, the set of the technology today. But you know all these uh, all these devices they need to start for a certain point you know and and you have to have a three dimensional design before you send it to the device itself and, and we at out of this uh, have you know developed uh, fantastic tools in terms of you know how you design in three d how you visualize in the computer before it becomes to be real, and how you simulate how that part is going to behave in the real life when you put a, a force and you know what kind of deflection you're going to have on the part on. Uh, so we, for about five years, have been looking at, you know, how we connect not only to 3D printing, what is, you know, traditionally called additive manufacturing, but we have been looking very close to subtractive manufacturing, CNC, and robotics, and how all these three technologies play together. So that being said, uh, we spend a tremendous amount of time around the additive, which is the, the, the traditional cost 3D printing. And we uh, found some fantastic things and some no fantastic things uh, in, in, the, in that subject. We, we found uh, some of the devices on the professional level are quite mature. Uh, they lack a little bit on the material size. And then on the consumer level, uh, we start seeing an explosion of devices out there, uh, you know, type of FDM, fuse deposition modeling, uh, quite, attra quite attractive, but I still you don't get the resolution that you are looking for. And if you think about, you know, years ago uh, when we when we started doing 2D printing, you know, uh, the dot matrix, you remember those printers that were quite noisy at that time. Well, that's what we live in right now on the consumer level. So there's a lot of uh, innovation can be applied in the material science, in the resolution, and the quality of the 3D print. So we had out of this, uh, we look at all the partners, you know, and we, we have some very strategic relation with a lot of them. Uh, but we start looking at trying to do things even better from the point of, you know, how we commute our design intent into the 3D printer directly. And, you know, two weeks ago, we released an open platform called Spark that allows you to do that. Uh, anybody can have access to this platform, and if you are using design software from us or from somebody else, uh, you will be able to communicate to the 3D printer quite directly uh, to that device. Then the other initiative that we did was we are releasing a 3D printer ourselves. And, and actually, it's a pretty fascinating technology because it allows you to have a much better resolution, uh, different materials. And, you know, the idea is pretty much, you know, let's release this printer, but have people to be able to collaborate so it will be open source. Um, you can buy the system from us, or if you want the design, we will be able to provide you the design, and you can experiment in the designs and make it your own, even better than that. The other thing that we were looking, you know, the material side, how we make sure 
you know, the materials that come from these are more attractive in the world of manufacturing uh, and the world, you know, creating parts not just for prototyping but for final use. So that being said, we also uh, opening, you know, uh, an API and app, uh, a programming interface to allow people to experiment with different materials in their 3D printer. So, uh, Greg, when you look at uh, this world, what is driving it? What is what is driving? Is it the cost savings potential? Is it the convenience of not having to go anywhere and produce your own part versus waiting for a supplier? Or is the potential of being able to innovate at a much faster space and have, reduce their time to market for what all new things you want to bring? Yeah, so I, you know, I think I, I think it's a multifaceted answer. Uh, there, there isn't one single answer as to what's driving the interest in 3D printing. I think it's a lot of the things that you've said. I, I would say that it's. I don't necessarily believe it's replacing suppliers. I, I think we find the technology is enabling, and in some cases, you may displace how you you would have gone and say had a cast part now we can print it but it's not wholesale replacing a supplier or nor a supply base and in fact we look at it as as a, a technology that the supply base will morph and change to the needs of the OEMs um, in that particular segment but I'll go back to I think it depends what area we're talking if we're talking about the home pers- uh, machines and the the home hobbyist if you will you know, I don't think we will find any time soon, uh, for the, the reasons just previously uh, outlined, as to uh, you know a replacement part for your dishwasher or your refrigerator. Uh, the reasons revolve around the part quality or the, the, the appearance of the part. You know, we have a limited number of materials we can use. Uh, we have a, a limited amount of what the aesthetics are going to look like for a part. So you're not going to necessarily see the home person get online, click a file, draw, uh, pull it down, and then just print their replacement part, especially if it's an aesthetic part. If it's something that's internal, Maybe that's the case, but I think it remains to be seen what happens in, on the consumer level relative to people wanting to even do that versus calling the repair person in. That, that being said, I think the few, you know the, this technology moves quickly, and, and um, so we will see machines coming out with higher fidelity and better material properties, and so maybe some of those things in the future will happen. But I, I think most companies, that, you know, depending on where you're at, if you're in the OEM level like a GE or if you're in the, uh, the, the, the parts-making business as a provider of parts to folks like GE, then I think what you're seeing this technology do is it's enabling them to uh, make more efficient products in certain cases, uh, reduce cost in, in other cases, or maybe even combined. In the aviation world, we find it very attractive if we can uh, use the power of the technology to design components that you can't make any other way. So think of a lattice-type structure component that still has the same mechanical functionality and properties but has half the weight. And if we can reduce weight out of our engines or reduce weight out of the airframe, that's a tremendous fuel savings for our customers. And so we look at those type of opportunities as, as being uh, enabling to the extent that we can provide a higher value product to our customers, uh, leveraging this phenomenal technology um, called 3D printing or additive manufacturing. So I think it depends on the industry, but by and large, you will find large 
groups of people saying it reduces cost in some cases. It gives them intellectual property they otherwise wouldn't have had. It gives them a better design. Maybe it gives them an entirely new business that they can create and leverage the technology for, just like the folks at Invisalign with those invisible braces. Uh, you know, that was an entire uh, product that they uh, created around additive manufacturing, and they've been very successful, just like the dental industry has been very successful with making copings and, and bridges and other dental implants, uh, leveraging and using the technology. It didn't totally replace the, in, the, the current players, but it's supplementing and enhancing and making it better. So, Gonzalo, uh, with respect to uh, us bringing clarity to this whole process of 3D printing, if I were to print a toaster, would I just print the toaster's shell or would I print every piece of that toaster by dynamically putting in and layering parts in it so that one fully full unit which I can put on my uh, countertop uh, at, on my kitchen island and start uh, toasting bread slices? <laughs> uh, fascinating question. Uh, you know, the, um, the ability to 3D print, it, it allows you to do things that we we were not experienced uh, before. And, and, you know, to, to comment a little bit before I answer the question on, on Greg's uh, points, is, is, you know, the, the metal fabrication is, is quite unique when you use a 3D printer. And, you know, the ability to reduce weights on components are quite key. I mean, if you think about, you know, the amount of, uh, of uh, since the Industrial Revolution, how much weight we have moved by burning all different types of fuel. So when, when you have a technology that allows you to do sim, uh, things that are lighter and as strong as before, the amount of saving that you can do. Uh, but now, go, going referring directly to the question that you asked, uh, yes, you, you, you can print uh, moving mechanisms, and I have done that. You know, you pretty much design something that have gears and pulleys and all these systems. And instead of uh, printing individually each of the components, and then, then later you will assemble these components, in one shot I can have the 3D printer print all together. And when it comes out of the print envelope, you know, you have, uh, you know, the pulleys and the gears acting and activating uh, here and there. Uh, but, you know, in order to do a toaster, we're still very far away to do that. You know, we can do the case, the designs of the case of the toaster, but some of the other components that mix, you know, electronics uh, and some of the metal parts, you know, um, it will be more of a challenge. You have to do it in, in different devices to be able to, to, to achieve that goal. So, Greg, based on your last response, it almost looks like that for prototyping, for identifying new ways of building something, or fundamentally identifying a totally new business, 3D printing looks like it, it holds promise. And, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think, I think certainly from a prototyping standpoint, uh, you, you know, this has been something that's been leveraged for, uh, you know, the last 20 plus years. And, and so even though I think many people believe that you know, because they've only heard of this in the last couple of years, um, due to the widespread press that it's been, that it has received, uh, the technology has actually been in existence since the late 80s. Um, now, granted, the, the technologies have gotten much better, more useful, better material properties, uh, more modalities. So that has certainly happened over the course of time. But prototyping is a, is a natural fit due to the time and cost savings. You know, one doesn't have to tool up for uh, producing a part. You can print the part directly, generally speaking. So 
certainly from that perspective, it is very useful. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And by the way, we received a question over Twitter uh, that we would like to see addressed. And Gonzalo Perez will start with you. The question is, 3D printing works great on a small scale, but how cost effective can it be on a large industrial scale? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to HP.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Joke All. Welcome back. So MakeWorks uh, from our Twitter uh, has come with a question. 3D printing works great on a small scale, but how effective it can be? Can it be on a large industrial scale? So, Gonzalez, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, uh, by the way, it's very, very good question. So, um, we add out of this, you know, we, we start printing things, you know, typical size of uh, what the printer are capable of doing. Uh, and everything, you know, that we print was pretty small objects. Uh, then we decided to do an experiment uh, specifically with Stratasys and, you know, let's try to print something bigger. Uh, we went out there and print a full-size uh, motorcycle, one of those kind of our Orange County uh, motorcycles, and it came out very, very good. It took a long time, uh, and the pricing, I have to be very honest, it was almost prohibited, you know. So the scaling of, of going up and the time that it takes to print and the amount of material that you're using at the price uh, today, most of the manufacturer offer was very, very expensive. We went out there, too, and I said, well, let's do a second test and uh, something even bigger to see how we scale. And we did uh, a uh, full-size print of a, of a jet engine. It was a turboprop counter-rotor system, uh, but it was done in plastic. Uh, n- nothing to go compete with a grid on G or anything like that, but it was just a proof of concept you know how large can be done, uh, and it was uh, it was very impressive, but it was uh, very very expensive. So a lot of these systems, some of them you can easily scale it up on the design, 
but quite frankly, we haven't seen on the manufacturing side wanted to jump to that big scale because right now, if they wanted to jump to that big scale, it would be very, very expensive until 3D print haven't proven to be a viable technology to go to that uh, size um, is to be determined. Yeah, Sandra, if I could, if I could kind of jump in Please. on that same question. So, you know, I, I would agree with, you know, everything, um, you know, because I just said. So, I, I think I would, I would add to that by suggesting that uh, there are pockets of applications where the technology will be very uh, appropriate to use in a, in a higher volume production environment. So, again, if I could use the dental market as, a, as an example of that, uh, a single build using the metal powder bed laser-based machines can produce roughly around 400 to 450 uh, individualized copings in one build. And that usually is a within a 24-hour period. So that's very cost-effective. And in fact, it's more cost-effective than the uh, traditional way of making those same copings. So a lot of companies that are in that particular field are looking and saying, we make tens of thousands of these, maybe even hundreds of thousands of these copings a year. So if we can produce those more cost-effectively with the same outcome, then we will do that using additive. The same thing for implants. Um, we, we find uh, certain companies, especially in Europe, that are producing acetabular cups, uh, so uh, hip replacement components. And I think we're seeing industries like that starting to pop up in a lot of different areas. Uh, in aviation, uh, for GE, we will be producing eventually, as we ramp up the number of pieces we require for the number of engines per year, uh, we'll get to around 40,000 of these field nozzles per year. And, and even though that's not millions, it's not automotive-style quantities, it's still a very large volume. So I, I think it, it entirely depends on your industry, on your application, on the material. Uh, it depends on a lot of factors. But Certainly, it is not a technology, 3D printing or additive manufacturing is not a technology as it exists today that is broadly sweeping away traditional manufacturing technologies. That is not the case. But it has its applications and where it fits, it typically will fit very well and be very uh, convincing to use. And in those instances, uh, it has the potential to do relatively high volumes depending on the size of the part and a lot of other factors. But you know, these are these are one in in you know thousands of cases of where you find the applications today. As the technology gets better, faster, cheaper, um, more accurate, better surface finish, uh, we'll start to see those applications increase exponentially. So the circle of applications will grow quite large uh, as all those factors come into play. That's um, if I might add uh, a comment to 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 Greg. That that's a good overview. Too. I mean, what we find out at, out of this, you know, these um, 3D printing devices, what is really unique about these devices is, you know, doesn't matter, you know, if you're going to be printing at the same time very different designs. And, you know, on the, in, and after, you know, maybe 10 hours that you did 3D print, you're going to have a very different design. That allows you to really customize things, shapes, and form. Uh, for instance, you know, I designed something on, on a Friday night here in the office, and it was something I'm going to use in, in, in this uh, a moped. You know, it was kind of a ventilation system. So I went on Friday afternoon, I designed uh, the component and sent it to the 3D printer, and I have it next day in my hand 
print printing ABS plastic, which is, which is quite unique. And if I needed to do a, a change on that design, I would do the interactions in the software and send it back again. So, you know, in, in, in a period of a weekend, I have three alterations of that design. And, and you know, if you go to traditional tooling uh, to do something of that magnitude in plastic and, and so on, it will be very, very expensive and it, it will take some time because traditional manufacturing is always towards, you know, at high production level. I make one design, I make all the molds to inject that plastics, and then I'm going to be producing thousands of thousands or millions of those parts. 3D printing doesn't do that. 3D printing is very good doing very unique designs, uh, but it takes time between design and design when you output it to the 3D printer. So for us, letting the people unleash their imagination and have access to design tool that, you know, whatever they design there, they can output it to the 3D printer and have an immediate result uh, or a very fast result, you know, day after is quite remarkable. Now, if that same design he wants to produce a million parts, you have to use different type of technologies to do that. So, Greg, would you agree that we have created this whole ecosystem of business partners because each one of them made a solemn vow that they will be the best that they are uh, doing whatever they are doing at any given time. And now if you are trying to take pieces of what a supplier was building earlier and we try to bring that in, that means we'll have to create more capability in-house, more knowledge base and experience in order to make that savings. Do you think this is a zero-sum game then? Yeah, I, well, I don't think it's a zero-sum game. I, and I, I do agree with you that it's you know there is a whole new paradigm shift relative to learning how to design products and design components using additive. This is a, uh, it's one of the, um, one of the topics that I, I think we are discovering uh, as, as, a, as an OEM and I think as an industry that this is a very big need is to think differently when you think about how you're designing for the additive technologies. So I think even though OEMs and, and various companies will pull the technology internal to their organizations, uh, I, I again will speak from a GE perspective. Uh, initially, we will we will certainly have capability internally to produce production components and, and a lot of our prototyping components, but we also very much need a robust supply chain that also has the same capabilities on the outside. Said differently. We have a lot of technologies, additive being one of our advanced manufacturing technologies that we work in. And we, uh, as large of a corporation as we are, do not have unlimited uh, budgets. So we will have uh, an appetite for a certain number of machines and capabilities internally, but we will also rely very heavily uh, over the long term on our supply base. So it's important that we have a robust uh, and knowledgeable and um, competent supply base able to produce the same type of components we're producing internally. Uh, that's just a part of our, our future plans, and I think it'll be a part of most companies' future plans. It's, it would be rare to hear a company say, we're going to do everything internally without using a supply base. And, and oftentimes, that'll be the same supply base that we've been using uh, historically that learns how to work with this technology. Now, since all of us are in, in, in this ecosystem are trying to, in, in whichever capacity we can, dabble into this 3D printing technology. So, Gonzalo, if you were to stand outside and getting paid $2,000 per hour as a consultant, 
what would you suggest they do to get started and do it in the right way so that it is no longer just a sandbox, but it actually has the potential for you to identify very much in the initial stages whether you should continue with this 3D printing? Just because it exists, you should not just get started, right? Yeah, I think we, uh, um, you know, the 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 whole awareness that is happening in, in the 3D printing space is creating uh, interest from many, many different uh, groups, organizations, and, and companies itself, you know. So you have, you know, the, the traditional companies have been doing 3D printing, you know, 20-plus years. Uh, but then when we start seeing, you know, uh, on the material side, you know, companies are very interested, you know, how to fuel what comes out of the 3D printer. Uh, so things are, are, are moving, you know, in a, in a very steady pace, you know, on the technology side, and, uh, and, and you're going to see some advances in the years to come. Uh, now, what, what is interesting is, you know, uh, if, by having the ability to output to these devices, uh, if you have an idea uh, you know, and you want to prototype the idea, and actually beyond the prototype, you want to produce a product, now we have means to do that. Uh, and in fact, I, I will tell you two, two stories about that. You know, it, it was interesting, you know, because I, I to my, my younger son, you know, at that time he was 10 years old, and I, I tried to expose him, you know, to to the, some of the design tools, and we developed some design tools, you know, that are, you know, um, iPad-based, uh, very simplistic to do complex three-dimensional design uh, through a product line that we call 123D at Autodesk. And he started designing things, you know, and, uh, and you know, it was kind of a game thing that he wanted to design. Uh, and then I say, you know, hey, buddy, let's let's put it to a 3D printer. And, you know, and I have access to a lot of 3D printers in the company. So we print some of these uh, components that he designed. Then he took it to the school, and he started showing it to his friends in the school. And, 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 and he's, then I got a call from the teacher saying, you know, you need to explain other words. Your son buying these toys. And he's not buying these toys. He's designing these toys. And he is bringing to the school. Now, I don't know if he wants to sell that to his friends there in the school, but he was so fascinated, you know, how, you know, a young mind uh, coming with some ideas and having the ability to output it, those ideas quite fast. Uh, it was interesting. So as a result, I had to go back to the school and explain to the school the whole technology and the paradigm, you know, how from design to manufacture now can be almost in, in, in a matter of hours uh, for certain things. Um, so, you know, the, the, the message, uh, again, is, you know, uh, the thing that we experience as, as, a, as a kids are so different, and it's going to be so different in the years to come, and also in the intent of, you know, being able to, to manufacture things. And, uh, and we are providing the tool. I mean, one of the models that we have in, 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 out of this is to unleash the imagination. You know, whatever you imagine, design and create uh, and fabricate that, that element. So now, in, in, in terms of business, uh, I seen quite a few people out there uh, that have uh, access to design tools and have been using design tools for a while, but in order to materialize those into a prototype or into a product have been a very expensive proposition for them. N not anymore. So some of them, they are going out there to service bureau and they have, you know, the outputs are quite unique and they're building business. So. 
So if you, you have ideas, uh, today you have very accessible software to materialize those ideas in the software, and you can have a very clear understanding what is going to happen before you go to, to manufacturing. So my recommendations, go for it. Go, go full-blown because uh, business are going to be changing. You know, a customization of things we'll see everywhere. Uh, we just have to make sure, you know, the material science coming out of the 3D printers, the speed, the resolution gets better. But we did that. We did that with 2D printing, you know, from the dot matrix to, you know, full color, photorealistic stuff. I think the years to come will be similar for uh, additive and 3D printing. Great. If I can just so add real quickly to Gonzalo's comment about the schools, I, I think what's very interesting is, and, and we're seeing a lot of schools put these machines in, these 3D printing machines in, it'll be very interesting to see our future generation of engineers and scientists, and you know, I think it really is generating interest in the STEM education. So that, that could be a very interesting output, uh, and, and I applaud the schools that are putting those machines in to so the, yeah. the young kids, even in, in uh, grade school or you know, very early on, first, second grade, are getting exposed to this great technology. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And Greg, perhaps we look at the appetite of, of the businesses and enterprise to allow creation of a sandbox, because traditionally in this tightly competitive world where margins are razor thin, the R&D departments have been shrinking. So is this a new light of hope that we're seeing because you have a new toy or tool or a phenomena that is happening because of 3D printing. And that being said, what are the, the reality checks that have been performed and what's the hindsight 2020 based on all that has happened leveraging 3D printing? So let's explore that. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. 
Welcome back. So, Greg, essentially, give us a reality check of all where we starting. What is the appetite that you see of businesses to dabble into this 3D printing, and and what what have we learned so far? Yeah, I think the uh, the appetite is quite large. I, I think what has happened, we've seen a few things happen actually over the last few years. But uh, generally speaking, as more people have become aware of the capability of the technologies, whether they're in polymers or or, uh, metals or any other uh, type of material, what we've seen are are companies begin to realize uh, that this could be game-changing for them. And in a variety of ways, it could it could enhance their parts, it could make their products better. So we've seen the R&D departments actually uh, become very excited about leveraging and using these technologies to help their products or to help them stay competitive within their industries. And I, I think that's been uh, around for a number of years. Uh, it certainly has accelerated in the past couple of years as there's been a huge amount of uh, discussion around additive and we've seen articles in many of the major uh, uh, trade magazines, et cetera. So what, what we're finding is I think even companies that are not as familiar with it are realizing this is a technology they can't ignore and that they're, they're actually trying to play a little bit of catch up uh, with the fear being that if they are not leveraging and using it in some way beyond just the obvious prototyping and, and maybe shortening of their design cycles, which in of itself is pretty powerful, but if they're not using it in a, a fashion where they could look very hard at their products and say, should we be leveraging it to make a better component, better product, better part, uh, that they could be at a substantial competitive disadvantage. So I think uh, all the re- it's very compelling and very cost-effective uh, way of making prototypes and, and, uh, and just uh, conceptual models that most companies that make anything. So if you're making a product, you probably have some form of 3D printing going on in your organization, whether an actual printer or you use an outside service provider. Um, and and that, that's that been a result of, again, a lot of the press and a lot of the knowledge about this is out there. Uh, and it's also been a nice um, combination of how far 3D CAD has come. Making 3D CAD uh, ubiquitous in all of these businesses has allowed for the output of that file to be uh, very effectively and cost efficiently producing a component. So, you know, this perfect storm of a lot of different things coming together have made this something where many companies, even not companies you wouldn't expect, uh, are, are jumping into this game and trying to say, is this a potential additional business model? Is this a potential enhancement to my business? And, and in some very, very interesting ways, uh, we're seeing the technology applied and leveraged. So, Gonzalez, if you were to wear a hat of an analyst, which industries will this prove to be a business-critical game-changer, in your view? So, definitely, we uh, um, two, two specific uh, subjects that I've been doing uh, out of this, and actually it came out to the attention of the analysts, you know, everything that uh, allows me to bring from the physical world to the digital, so by the means of, you know, being able to go with a camera or a laser scanner, be able to capture a shape or form of something and bring into my system, which is the digital media, so from physical to digital. Once it's in the digital aspect, you know, there's so many things I can do, improve, change, modify, make it better. And now back again from digital back to physical by the means of uh, 3D printing, subtracting and robotics. So as, a, as an analyst, uh, I will be very, very, very key looking at these two 
uh, segments in between the digital media that allow me to bring technology or shapes or forms of things into computers to do what computers are very good doing, you know, computing large amount of calculations and numbers that we need to obtain from those designs to, to the manufacturing aspect. Uh, and, and that's why you see a lot of the analysts, you know, looking uh, specific, specifically on the additive on the 3D printing. Uh, and, and, and that's kind of what I will be looking at, too. So, Greg, if you were to look at the intellectual property challenges, it's interesting to see if I was to be able to build a toaster, why would I pay you $12 or, or $20 for it? And then the risk is my own, and that's actually dangerous for the society itself. So are we really going in the right direction? Are we planting a time bomb here? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and I think a, a good observation. And, and so, it goes, whether it's a toaster or it's a toy or you know whatever the product is, I don't think we've really you know. There's kind of two issues here. One's the intellectual property side of it. The other one's the liability side of it. I, I'm not sure we've seen we've really tackled either uh, fully. And certainly, the liability aspect of it has not been fully thought about or explored. I think people are very excited about the technology. They see the potential. They they love the idea of mass customization. But we've yet to see, uh, you know, a fallout from that. And I think it's a very real risk, you know, not only for somebody who is going to, in their garage, create a product and sell it. Um, you know, let's, let's go back to the toy example uh, for Gonzalez's uh, son. You know, I mean, brings in a toy. Let's say he did sell a toy at school. Let's say, you know, something bad happened with the child that bought the toy. I mean, you can see where this goes from a legal standpoint. That could be a little bit of dicey ground um, that, that, we're, that we're treading here. The other aspect of IP and, and liability is going to be uh, parts that are um, – uh, fake parts, basically. So you you can see parts that are uh, going to be for uh, very critical applications. It, it's going to be and is very easy to reverse engineer a component, whether you scan it in or you use some other reverse engineering capability. With the powerful CAD systems that exist today, it, it's not. Um, it is very much within the realm of possibility to see parts that are produced that are not original OEM parts. On the surface, that might sound good. So if you had an automotive component that was going to cost you a lot of money and you, you could buy it for a lot less, you might be tempted to do that. But uh, you know the, the risk is that if you buy a metal component additively produced that's a lot less expensive, uh, you, you may not know exactly how that was produced or, or the technology, let's say it a different way, the technology requires a level of sophistication and expertise that not everybody has. So even though it looks like a solid metal part, there could be problems with that part. And I think the consumers don't fully appreciate and understand that that could be the case. So uh, it's an interesting question. I just, you know, eventually that will pop up its ugly head at some point. I haven't heard of anything yet that, is, that has happened but I'm sure that in the coming years we will find something out there that was additively produced, had a bad consequence, and, uh, you know, so we'll, we'll see tighter regulation on that front. Actually, you know, to comment to Greg, uh, so we, we develop an application that you – I can grab my iPhone right now. I go around an object, and I take this series of pictures. Um, from those series of pictures, I, I can generate a three-dimensional model of that automatic, completely automatically. Once I have a three-dimensional model, I can send it to a 3D printer. And, and you know, we, we, we are puzzled about that because who owns what? You know, I, I captured that from my camera. 
you know, and I create a three-dimensional model. I might customize, modify something, and I make a, a product based on something else. Uh, and the same thing, you know, when I go to a museum or I go, uh, you know, I take a picture. Who owns that picture? Who who is is the person who make the art, or is the or, or I own the picture itself? So you know, the IP issue is, is going to be very, very, very interesting. Certainly, we are providing the tools, you know, to capture all this stuff and, and unleash the imagination, as I explained before. Uh, but I think legally, we we'll have to make some move in terms, you know, to allow people to experiment, allow people to to come with new concept because if we're gonna severely limit it, you know what you can capture and things like that, um, it will be hard to move forward. Let's take a quick break, listeners, and then we come back. Gonzalo, I'd like to ask in terms of the disruptions in the people and the process side. So, is the traditional operation has the chance of getting disrupted or totally fundamentally changed because 3D printing is arriving? And also, if we are going to do these things in-house or perhaps somewhere there would be a direct impact on people losing their jobs. While that is an approach, which is, of course, there are always problems when you come up with technology innovation, somebody loses jobs or something happens. But what are those potential challenges? Because people are concerned. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Find out how the HP as a service solution for SAP HANA can help you gain instant, impactful business results without capital investment by logging on to hp.com. Transform information into intelligence and a competitive advantage with a full spectrum of SAP HANA products and services from HP, a global SAP hosting partner. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Gonzalo, uh, what type of disruptions that we can expect in the processes uh, that may exist in a given organization if 3D printing and when 3D printing is getting deployed? And secondly, what is the impact on the workforce? Okay, that's, that's a good question. Uh, once, once again, uh, it, it can 
be very disruptive, you know, disruptive in the way uh, as an engineer. I'm, I'm traditional. My education is in engineering. Yeah, you think and, uh, and design things different. You know, we, we have this device right now. Uh, out of this, you can uh, 3D print multiple materials. Uh, so pretty much you have your design of a shape of, of a form, but you can also control what material goes where. So that allows you to do things, you know, like this part will, uh, will articulate in this way, but it will not move in this other direction. And that's because besides the shape itself, you are telling the system to put what kind of materials uh, in different places. For instance, we, you know, I, I was experimenting the other day. I was printing something that is start in crystal clear acrylic and transition to very flexible black rubber. You know, so is, is disruptive? Yes, because it allows you the, the the minds of the engineers to rethink the way they have been doing uh, traditional engineer for many many years. You know, in one printout, you can have a mix of these materials to do many things that you used to do in many, many components. So how will that affect the workflow uh, force of, of the future? Uh, is, is Once again, you know, it's new technology, retrained, leverage some of this stuff. What, what is interesting is that, you know, what, what we find out, what people do in traditional manufacturing and engineering, when you expose them to these new possibilities, is a pretty welcome uh, option in terms of, you know, I didn't know that can be done. I really would like to see the benefits of that because now you're going to make my job much easier. But, of course, I need to re-educate myself how to use some of those technologies. So, in short, Greg, would you think that this means retooling the current workforce, fundamentally refining the processes, and perhaps uh, it is going to be action replay of what we saw when the manufacturing got outsourced? Yeah, so I, I look I think the I think the there are going to be needs to retool certain aspects of the workforce. But to, to be clear, I think our traditional manufacturing processes, which would be milling and turning and, and casting and forgings and fabrications and injection molding and stampings, that you know, that's not going away. That that will be uh in existence in our lifetime. Um, and, and, I, and I think uh, it'll be a number of years, if ever, that you see some of those technologies, you know, in the foreseeable future at least. I mean, ever is a long time, but, you know, in the foreseeable future, I think those type of technologies will exist. There, there will be slight shifts in how some of the industry leverages and, and, and uses the technology. And sure, certain uh, workforce elements will need to be trained on how to operate this uh, 3D printing uh, capability. Uh, clearly, engineers and designers should be very familiar with 3D printing, uh, I think, for a variety of reasons, but predominantly uh, because that's another tool and a very powerful one, but another tool in the toolbox. But, uh, you know, I get asked a lot from uh, machine, comp machine shop companies and service providers and casting houses. Uh, you know, multiple times I've been asked, am I about to be obsoleted? Is my business about to be shut down because 3D printing is taking over? And, and the short answer is, again, absolutely not. Unfortunately, if you read some of the press uh, stories, if you listen too much to the hype, uh, you would maybe come away with that impression. But we actually look at it very differently. We look at the technologies as being complementary. So we have uh, a, you know, rooms full of additive machines. In our facility that I'm sitting in today, which is an R&D and prototype uh, facility, we have 20 additive, 25 additive machines in polymers and metals. 
We also have, however, taking up the vast majority of space, a full machine shop and capability on the back end. They're complementary. They're not competitive. They're actually very complementary technologies. And if you leverage and use the technologies appropriately uh, where they fit best and where they provide the best value, then you would find that if you're in the additive metals arena, you typically will have an extensive machining capability as well. So no doubt that the future machine shops of the world will have additive, but I don't think anybody needs to panic that their business is going to be obsolete. I just think it will take a, it'll be a natural progression, and, and the more progressive companies will involve themselves probably sooner and will reap the benefits of understanding the additive combined with the traditional technologies going forward. And it's interesting what uh, you said, Greg, because, uh, you know, we, we are experimenting and we see also a new trend coming, you know, which is pretty much in the same machine you do additive and you do subtractive too. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a combination of this technology, and I couldn't agree more. It's not going to completely displace the way manufacturing has been done for, for, some, for, for so long. It's complementary technology. The, the, the key is, you know, how the three aspects that I, I talked before, how we make additive, subtractive, and robotic work closer and to do things that, you know, they were very complex to do. And, uh, and uh, we have a, a tremendous initiative right now inside out of this, looking at all these three spaces. So, Greg, yeah. many of our audience members include chief information officers. Would you think there is any remote connection between any organization deploying 3D printing as part of their manufacturing process and any information exchange that is required to change in order for it to really work in the best way possible? Yeah, I think there's a linkage there, and and um, you know I think that's it's absolutely essential that the um, that the IT component of any entity is very well connected with what's happening on the factory floor. Uh, you know, brilliant factories and, and automated factories and, and 3D printing is one of those sort of automation elements um, ties in to the IT landscape of any company very, very closely on many levels, from an efficiency standpoint, from a risk or threat level. Um, by that, I mean piracy or, 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 or you know, some of the, the evil things that could happen with data. Uh, all of this is very important to be on a coordinated strategy with the uh, IT aspects of the company, frankly, all aspects of the company. This isn't just a production um, technology. This is a strategic management technology. It is an IT technology, and it's a production technology. It, it crosses the broad spectrum of almost every function within the companies that employ and leverage and use the, uh, you know, the 3D printing or additive. Gonzalo, very quickly, what do you think businesses should do in terms of thinking and preparing based on whatever disruption 3D printing is introducing here? So I think the business has to clearly, you know, look at, you know, what's available today. Uh, and this is a trend on, on the additive that is, is moving forward and it's moving forward pretty, pretty fast. In fact, you know, we, we see one of the big players in, in the 2D printing, which is HP, jumping into the 3D, 3D printing space. So I, if I, you know, my, my advice to everybody in the business, you know, look, look at the possibilities that today's offer, but uh, think about that this, this is a technology that's going to accelerate quite a lot in the material size. On the design tool, we will be providing you the, the right tools to allow you to prototype things in the computer before you send it to a 3D printing, uh, independently of how, what method you're going to use for fabrication. 
so, you know, if, if you are in the manufacturing and you are not looking at, at 3D printing, you should be looking at 3D printing, but not as a technology that is going to replace everything that you have, but a complementary technology that will help you to do things that, that, was, that was very, very difficult to do before. So, Greg, one final question for you. What is your advice for the businesses and technology leaders who are trying to experiment with 3D printing in order for them to get the best value out of it, where it stands today? Yeah, so I, I would mirror everything uh, Gonzalez just said. I, I would also add, uh, basically, that it's, it is important, if you're in manufacturing, that you're aware of the technologies. That doesn't mean you have to have the 3D printers internally. You can use outside suppliers. There are many of them, very uh, good quality suppliers that you can send files to, and they can make parts. But I would recommend that companies, um, you know, the printers are very affordable. The software is very affordable. Uh, a lot of it is becoming more intuitive. Um, to use. So I think it's very low risk for companies to consider buying uh, office 3D printer of some sort and having it internal to their design organizations or on the shop floor or where have you. I mean, it, it is a uh, it is amazing how many applications and uses one will find. Not only can it be beneficial for the use of the technology for their products, but you know you might find fixturing or tooling applications that you can leverage it for. So buy a printer. It's low cost. Uh, buy the software. It's intuitive, and and start to get familiar with the technology and how it can change your business. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you both, uh, Greg and Gonzalo, for sharing your thoughts on how 3D printing can actually impact the enterprise and create unprecedented value for the organizations. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, and um, um, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. And from my side, too, I, excellent questions. You know, I, I, I love what uh, the question you have in, in, in terms of, you know, and see Greg also, you know, who – who experienced 3D printing very, very close at uh, GE uh, because, you know, uh, what, what, what he said, he, he really resonates with what we're doing at out of this on the design software. Thank you so much, both of you, again. Now, listeners, hope you got a lot of value out of it, learn about what 3D printing can do in terms of transforming our organizations and our lives. Please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid.